0: Come Follow Me with David Ridges is brought to you by Cedar Fort Publishing and Media. Cedar Fort has created LDS books and products for 35 years and is the best place to get clean and wholesome content. Visit us at lds.cedarfort.com and use code PODCAST20 to save 20% off your entire order.
1: Welcome to the Come Follow Me with David Ridges podcast. I am your guest host, Linda Cherry, author of the forthcoming book, The Redemption of the Bride, God's Redeeming Love for His Covenant People. Our course of study this week is section 94-97 through 97 of the Doctrine and Covenants. More than 3,000 years ago, the Lord Jehovah called Moses to bring the descendants of Abraham to Mount Sinai, where he would bring them into a covenant relationship with him and form them as the covenant family of Israel. This meeting was in fulfillment of Jehovah's covenant with Father Abraham, made centuries earlier, wherein the Lord promised that he would remember Abraham's seed forever, deliver them from Egypt, and allow them to know him as their God in a personal way, the same way that Abraham had known him. In order to prepare for the event, the Lord instructed Moses to ready the people for a sacred experience. They should cleanse themselves and pray and ponder upon the invitation he had extended to them, that if they would enter into a covenant relationship with him and keep his commandments, he would make them a holy nation, even a kingdom of priests. The Lord told Moses that he was going to come down from the mount by degrees, first speaking so that all could hear, and then showing himself to the people. Each person would have a different experience according to their readiness, All were invited, and all had an equal opportunity. In their eagerness, the people assured Moses, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And most of them probably meant it. However, the next day, when for some God's voice sounded like thunder, and for others his glory looked like the mountain was on fire, most shrank back in fear. They ended up telling Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of our Lord our God any more, then we shall die. They removed themselves and stood afar off. All but seventy people turned down the invitation to know God for themselves. Those seventy had a holy experience of eating and drinking with the Lord at the top of the mountain, and gained a personal witness of the Lord their God. The Doctrine and Covenants section 84 tells us that Moses plainly taught the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory." Therefore he took Moses out of their midst, and the holy priesthood also, and the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering of angels, and the preparatory gospel. That preparatory ironic priesthood was to help the people prepare themselves, so that they could eventually understand and accept the invitation of the Lord, to know him for themselves. If they could not bear his presence, would they accept the teachings of the prophets, and of angels to help in their preparations? Following the Savior's mortal ministry, death, and resurrection, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Hebrews explaining the need for a change in the priesthood to the Melchizedek priesthood, so that the promise originally offered to the Israelites at Sinai could now be claimed by those who had accepted Christ and who had come into the covenant family of Israel. Paul wrote, Let us therefore fear... Lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul refers to the veil of the temple, the entrance into the Holy of Holies and the presence of God, and informs us that Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, through his redemption in our behalf, has entered within the veil and opened the way for each of us to come into his presence and the presence of the Father and obtain our inheritance as a joint heir in the kingdom of God. We have reason to believe that with the restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood through Christ to his apostles, that many did partake of the promise, received and participated in temple ordinances away from the Jerusalem temple, and came to know God in a real and intimate way. And then came the apostasy, when the precious truths were taken from the earth, because mankind once again chose a golden calf over their true God, and would not hear God's voice for themselves. In the spring of 1820, a young boy, Joseph Smith, knelt in a grove of trees and asked God where he could find truth. He was confused by the various denominations, all claiming to know what was right. Joseph knew that the only one he could trust to find his way was God himself. With Joseph's calling came a complete restoration. Joseph would not lead a new church, but he would be a restorer God's messenger of the covenant, to restore all that once had been given to Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, and the other righteous heads of the dispensations. According to the Bible Dictionary, the new and everlasting covenant is quote, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is new every time it is revealed anew following a period of apostasy. It is everlasting in the sense that it is God's covenant and has been enjoyed in every gospel dispensation where people have been willing to receive it. The fullness of the gospel is called the New and Everlasting Covenant. It includes the covenants made at baptism, during the sacrament, in the temple, and at any other time. The Lord calls it everlasting because it is ordained by an everlasting God, and because the covenant will never be changed. He gave this same covenant to Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham and other prophets. In this sense it is not new, but the Lord calls it new because each time the gospel is restored after being taken from the earth, it is new to the people who receive it. The doctrine and covenants reveals a progressive step by step effort by the Lord to ready his people to understand and accept the same invitation that had been offered to the Israelites at Sinai. To become a covenant people, to come into the family of covenant Israel and to come to know and perhaps even see God in an intimate and personal way. For both people, the ancient Israelites and the modern-day Israelites, the Lord uses his temple to help his people prepare themselves. Although the fullness of the covenant and the Melchizedek priesthood were offered to the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, they were not ready to receive it. In His mercy, the Lord made provisions to help to prepare them to receive more by providing the tabernacle in the wilderness, which later became the temple in Jerusalem. The ultimate goal of the invitation at Sinai and the invitation of the tabernacle temple remains the same, that each child of God will come to know Him for themselves. The tabernacle provided a constant visual reminder that the Lord was with His people, Let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, the Lord told Moses. There I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will be their God. With the tabernacle at the center of Israel's camp, The challenge of of out-of-sight, out-of-mind could not occur. Israel would be reminded every day that she was unique and beloved by her king who waited always to receive her. Light radiated from the sanctuary, a light that must have warmed and drawn the people towards it, while reassuring them that they had the Lord's protection. Everything about the tabernacle was meant to illustrate the union of Israel to her God and offered constant opportunities for learning, Jehovah gave specific instructions to Moses as to how the tabernacle was to be constructed and what sort of ritual and worship was to take place within it. Even the very setting with its partitions and veil symbolized zones of holiness. As one performed certain rituals and moved from place to place within those zones, they acted out the return to the presence of God on his throne in the Holy of Holies. And so it was that with the restoration— God once again commanded his people to build a temple, and for the same reasons, that they might know him and that they might know that he was with them, even in their midst. In July 1831, a little over a year after the formation of the church, the Lord revealed Independence, Missouri as a land of promise, the center place of Zion, where the saints would build a holy city dedicated to the Lord with the temple at its center. Joseph Smith dedicated the temple site within weeks of the revelation. Seven months later, in February 1832, Joseph and Sidney Rigdon received the revelation known as the Vision, wherein they were shown the various kingdoms in the afterlife, and the promise of exaltation, important foundational teachings to understand the purpose of the temple. In September 1832, Doctrine and Covenants 84 was given by the Lord instructing that the new Jerusalem was to be built beginning at the temple lot, that the greater or Melchizedek priesthood holds the key of the knowledge of God, and that with that priesthood one can see and know the face of God for themselves. The revelation explains Moses' purpose at Sinai and the fact that the invitation still is extended for those who will receive it. Three months later, Doctrine and Covenants 88 was received, with additional insight as to how one can receive the light of Christ, so that they can dwell in his presence. The revelation also includes the commandment to begin the school of the prophets and to build the Kirtland Temple. The Lord desires a place where he can reveal himself to his people. He also wants them to understand what is needed to ready themselves for the encounter. On May 6, 1833, Doctrine and Covenants 93 was received, where the Lord promised... Every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Listen to the promise of the Lord in section 97 and compare it to the invitation of promise at Mount Sinai. And inasmuch as my people build a house unto me in the name of the Lord and do not suffer any unclean thing to come into it, that it be not defiled, my glory shall rest upon it, yea, and my presence shall be there, for I will come into it, and all the pure in heart that shall come into it shall see God. While the school of the prophets officially began within weeks of the revelation to start it, the saints did not begin work on the temple. There was so much happening in their lives, and much of it dedicated work in behalf of the church. The following are just some bullet points of events in a short two-and-a-half-year period. In February 1831, Joseph and Emma moved to Kirtland. In April 1831, two months later, Emma gave birth to twins Thaddeus and Louisa, both of whom died. In June 1831, another two months, under the Lord's direction, Joseph made his first trip to Missouri. That's 900 miles one way, 260 of those miles on foot. In July, a month later, while he was still in Independence, Missouri, the Lord revealed that it was a land of promise, the center place of Zion, where the saints would gather to build a holy city dedicated to the Lord and live together in righteousness. The following month, Joseph dedicated the temple site at Independence, Missouri. In September 1831, Joseph and his family moved to the Johnson Farm in Hiram, Ohio, where Joseph worked on the translation of the Bible. And in February 1832, Joseph and Sidney Rigdon received the Vision, or Section 76. The following month, Joseph and Sidney Rigdon were tarred and feathered in Ohio, and as a result of that terrible night, their adopted son, Joseph Murdoch, died. A month later, in April 1832, Joseph made a second trip to Missouri. With Newell K. Whitney as a companion, Newell was injured on the way back home to Kirtland, and Joseph stayed over a month to care for Newell and returned back to Kirtland at the end of June in 1832. At the same time, the United Firm was formed in Jackson County, Missouri, to oversee lands and the United Order. In September 1832, Joseph and Emma moved into the Whitney home. And that same month, uh, Joseph received the revelation we call uh, section 84, which instructed that the new Jerusalem was to be built beginning at the temple lot in Independence, Missouri, and the promise of being able to see the faith of, face of God. In November 1832, Joseph Third was born, and he was their first child to survive. That December, a month later, uh, Joseph received the commandment to build the Kirtland Temple as contained in section 88. At the end of January, the School of the Prophets began. And all the while, in this short but busy two and a half years, Joseph continued the work on the translation of the Bible. Five months had passed since the instruction to build the temple in Kirtland. And in Doctrine and Covenants section 95, the Lord called the saints to repentance and told them that he must chastise and rebuke them because they had committed a grievous sin in that ye have not considered the great commandment in all things that I have given you concerning the building of my house. Yea, verily I say unto you, I gave unto you a commandment that you should build a house in the which house I designed to endow those whom I have chosen with power from on high. Verily I say unto you, it is my will that you should build a house. If you keep my commandments, you shall have power to build it. If we look at the many miles Joseph had traveled to see to the affairs of the church, the efforts of the missionaries, the dedication and sacrifice of the saints who left their homes and committed their worldly goods in order to live under the united order, we may shrink at the Lord's wording that the people needed to be rebuked and chastised. It is true that the Lord called them out for contentions both in Missouri and in Kirtland. He specifically stated that contentions within the School of the Prophets was very grievous to him, and we know that the saints in Missouri sometimes stirred up the problems with their neighbors. The Lord accused his people of walking in darkness at noonday. The Lord wanted to endow his people with power, power, light, and knowledge that would enable them to face and overcome the many challenges that they were enduring. He wanted them to prioritize and put first things first, building the temple where they could receive manifold blessings of strength and wisdom, where they could see things with clearer vision, get the big picture, and even come to see and know themselves as they saw their relationship to God as his chosen covenant people. Perhaps, even though they were doing his work, the saints were going about it from their own power— stretching and pushing themselves with their own strength when they might have had the extra grace that would have come from building the temple and receiving their endowment from God. President Joseph Fielding Smith taught the following. The Kirtland Temple was necessary before the Lord's servants could receive the endowment which the Lord had in store for them. The elders had been out preaching the gospel and crying repentance ever since the church was organized, and many great men had heard and embraced the truth. Nevertheless, the elders could not go forth in the power and authority which the Lord intended them to possess until this temple was built, where he could restore keys and powers essential to the more complete preaching of the gospel and the administering of its ordinances. Within days of the Lord's rebuke contained in section 95, Hiram Smith, who had been appointed as one of three over the building committee, began digging trenches for the temple's foundation the Lord revealed that the temple should be built on part of the French farm that had recently been purchased by the church. Within just a few weeks, Joseph sent a letter to the leaders in Missouri with architectural plans for a temple and the layout of the city of Zion to be built in Independence. The plan for both the Kirtland and Independence temples had been received by Revelation, a 3D experience much like Moses' vision of the tabernacle he was instructed to build in the wilderness. For both cities, the temple was the central feature. All streets and homes were to be built out in relation to it, even as the camp of Israel camped around the ancient tabernacle at its center. Times continued to be extremely difficult for the saints. It appears that the saints were not sure what a temple was, and records indicate that when the Lord asked that a house be built in His name, they envisioned some sort of schoolhouse in Kirtland. There were only 150 members of the church living in Kirtland at the time of this revelation. Not a single architect or engineer among them, or even an experienced draftsman, to draw up the plans. The buildings the Lord instructed should be built in Kirtland for the first presidency and for the printing of the inspired version of the Bible were never constructed. The saints eventually constructed a smaller two-story building to the west of the Kirtland Temple, which served as a printing office and a meeting place for the School of the Prophets. The Kirtland Saints shifted their resources to provide relief to church members in Missouri as they were persecuted and driven out by their neighbors. Completing the Kirtland Temple consumed all available resources for several years and was built at great sacrifice. But think of the outpouring of the Spirit and the miraculous blessings they received at its dedication— as promised, the Lord himself appeared to those who were ready to receive him. Similar to the experience at Sinai, the manifestations were different for each individual. The Lord promised, yea, the hearts of thousands and tens of thousands shall greatly rejoice in consequence of the blessings which shall be poured out and the endowment with which my servants have been endowed in this house. And the fame of this house shall spread to foreign lands. And this is the beginning of the blessing which shall be poured out upon the heads of my people. The Lord's house provided a place for his servants to be taught the doctrine of the kingdom, and be instructed more perfectly, and to be endowed with power from on high. To endow means to give something. To be endowed in the temple is to receive a bestowal of spiritual knowledge and power. The endowment spoken of in the revelation recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 95 is not the same as the ordinance administered in later temples. The first complete temple endowment in this dispensation was introduced by the Prophet Joseph Smith in Nauvoo, Illinois, in May 1842. The endowment received by the church members in Kirtland, Ohio, included occasions when the Lord poured out His Spirit and endowed them with spiritual power, when they received revelations or other gifts, when priesthood keys were given, and also when sacred ceremonies were performed which included washings and anointings, as well as the washing of feet for priesthood leaders. Now, what of us? What is keeping us from the house of the Lord? Are we like the Israelites at Sinai, who were afraid of the manifestation of the power of God? They ran from understanding, rather than applying themselves to it. Or, are we like the early saints of Joseph's time, who were too busy doing good things to seek the Lord's endowment first? Are we weighed down with trials and life's challenges, even making a living, and can't imagine making that one more trip or spending two more hours of our day at the temple? Is the temple at the center place of our lives? Can we feel the glow of the light of the Lord radiating from within its sanctuary, calling us to come, come to Him, learn of Him, stay with Him? President Gordon B. Hinckley taught, I am satisfied that every man or woman who goes to the temple in a spirit of sincerity and faith, leaves the house of the Lord a better man or woman. There is need for constant improvement in all of our lives. This sacred edifice becomes a school of instruction in the sweet and sacred things of God. Here we have outlined the plan of a loving father in behalf of his sons and daughters of all generations. Here we have sketched before us the odyssey of man's eternal journey, from premortal existence through this life to the life beyond. Great fundamental and basic truths are taught with clarity and simplicity, well within the understanding of all who hear. The temple is also a place of personal inspiration and revelation. Legion are those who in times of stress, when difficult decisions must be made and perplexing problems must be handled, have come to the temple in a spirit of fasting and prayer to seek divine direction. Many have testified that while voices of revelation were not heard, impressions concerning a course to follow were experienced at that time or later, which became answers to their prayers. End quote. The Lord is inviting us to become a covenant people, His people. He calls His people Israel, the name of His covenant family. He also calls His people Zion, those who are of one heart and of one mind. Using terminology he used for ancient Israel, the Lord instructed in section 97, And now behold, if Zion do these things, she shall prosper, and spread herself, and become very glorious, very great, and very terrible. And the nations of the earth shall honor her, and shall say, Surely Zion cannot fall, neither be moved out of her place. For God is there, and the hand of the Lord is there. And he has sworn by the power of his might, to be her salvation and her high tower. Therefore, verily, thus saith the Lord, let Zion rejoice, for this is Zion, the pure in heart. Therefore, let Zion rejoice, while all the wicked shall mourn. President Spencer W. Kimball taught of the role that purity of heart plays in building Zion today. The length of time required to accomplish all things pertaining to Zion is strictly up to us and how we live, For creating Zion commences in the heart of each person. Zion can be built up only among those who are pure in heart. Not a people torn by covetousness or greed, but a pure and selfless people. Not a people who are pure in appearance, rather a people who are pure in heart. Zion is to be in the world and not of the world. Not dulled by a sense of carnal security, nor paralyzed by materialism. No, Zion is not things of the lower, but of the higher order, things that shall exalt the mind and sanctify the heart. The invitation to us today stands as open and pure as did the invitation to the Israelites, Paul's readers, and to the early saints. The invitation is to come unto Christ and be perfected in him, to be endowed with power, to rise up to our divine potential as kings and queens, priests and priestesses unto God and to know God for ourselves. Joseph Smith taught that, The main object of gathering the Jews or the people of God in any age of the world was to build unto the Lord a house whereby He could reveal unto His people the ordinances of His house and the glories of His kingdom and teach the people the way of salvation. For there are certain ordinances and principles that when they are taught and practiced must be done in a place or house built for that purpose. End quote. Our temple attendance will provide us an opportunity to practice returning to the presence of God. It is an instruction course, where we, like school children, learn the tools needed and then rehearse their application, enabling us, as Brigham Young said, to quote, walk back to the presence of the Father, passing the angels who stand as sentinels, being enabled to give them the key words the signs and tokens pertaining to the holy priesthood, and gain your eternal exaltation. The great promise of the temple is the opportunity to return to the presence of the Lord, to meet with Him in His house, and receive counsel, instruction, and comfort from Him. The prophet Joseph Smith taught, I saw Adam in the valley of Adam-on-Diamon. He called together his children and blessed them with a patriarchal blessing. The Lord appeared in their midst, and he, Adam, blessed them all, and foretold what should befall them in the latest generation. This is why Adam blessed his posterity. He wanted to bring them into the presence of God. They looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Moses sought to bring the children of Israel into the presence of God through the power of the priesthood but he could not. In the first ages of the world they tried to establish the same thing, and there were Eliases raised up who tried to restore these very glories, but did not obtain them. But they prophesied of a day when this glory would be revealed. End quote. Adam wanted to bring his posterity, that's us, into the presence of God. Entering into the presence of God It is what God wants for us, and it is a promise available to all if we will but accept and embrace it. The Lord has provided the template for us and allows us to practice it time and again by entering into his holy house. May our hearts be open so that we may come to understand all that he has provided for us. For he marked the path and led the way, and every point defines to light and life and endless day, where God's full presence shines. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Hi, I'm Valerie Loveless, and I'm just an everyday Latter-day Saint. I go to work, I have a family, I try to keep the commandments and get my scripture study in. I have a thirst for more gospel knowledge, but not always the time. If you're like me, then join me on my podcast, Everyday Saints. I'm going to take us into the topics that matter to you, pull them apart, listen to the experts and the authors, and keep you up to speed on what it is that Everyday Saints are talking about reading and listening to. Just search your podcast app for Everyday Saints and the Angel Moroni Thumbnail. Perhaps you know of someone who does not believe the Savior's promise of a beautiful, abundant life if we but follow Him. Do you know what it means to be alive in Christ? Do you believe Him? You can have peace in this life as well as in the life to come. This outstanding book can teach you how to overcome the world and achieve the glorious life that Jesus Christ has promised us. It can show you how to put off the natural man, become a new creature, and be alive in Christ. The Savior was serious when He promised us rich blessings. You can transcend all obstacles with the help of God. You can rise above mortal temptations and tribulations and enjoy the companionship of the Holy Ghost at all times. Alive in Christ can show you how. Written by Thomas Holton Available at cedarfort.com